Hey, everybody. Don't you love we believe that stuff? So sweet. Um, this week, many of us jumped into the season of Lent, hopefully with the zeal of a paratrooper. And uh, um, we hope that you're Lenting well, that you're praying into the commitments that you're doing. You know, uh, some people think that anytime you try to add any structure to your faith, that it's religious dead works. And, you know, if you're of that opinion, don't do it. I, I think that that opinion is silly. Um, you know, the reality is, is that so much of our lives are oriented towards structure. Jesus never hated, when he talked about religion, he talked about the bad kind of religion where people would do things to one-up each other or do things to put down or put people into bondage or do things to try to appease God, you know, which they, you don't want to try to earn anything from God. You don't want what you've earned from God. So it's nothing about that. But man, I think it's awesome to have some regimen. I mean, you know, in your marriage, if you're a married person, it is full of religion. <laughs> you have to go home every night. You've got to do certain things with each other. You know, it's just, it, religion actually means to bind yourself to. It's, it's a binding to commitments. I mean, that can be a very negative thing and, 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 a, and an overbearing thing, and a, and a, but it can be something that's wonderful. If you try to say that you have commitments to people that are just totally open-ended, you don't really have any commitments to anybody. And so I think it's good for us once in a while to lean into a season where we, like this, where we bind ourselves to some principles. And what you're doing is, is you're asking yourself the question. You know, one of the things I'm doing is praying uh, the daily office, which is three times a day is what I'm doing. And, and so what you do is you say, okay, what will my life be like over the next 40 days if I do this? And when you promise into it, you're, you're basically saying no to certain things so you can say yes to something else. And, and you're kind of stepping into a, a future that you're imagining. What would it be like if you said no to chocolate for the next 40 days? I mean, you know you're going to be grumpy. You know after you get done eating, you're going to have that longing. Well, what would it be like if you gave up that longing and for, that, 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 uh, that chocolate and said, God, with this longing, I'm going to direct it to you? What would that be like? That's what this is about. It's about doing some things that you wonder how it would form your life up, life up if you did that for a season. So it's, I think it could be a really cool experience, and uh, that has been the testimony of many. Uh, on uh, uh, Wednesday night, we're doing the soups, so we encourage you to fast. If you'd like to, it's only two hours, and you will not die. Fast from you know, what you normally eat dinner, and then we'll have the service, and then about 8 o'clock or so, we'll do soup. So some of you will be able to endure that. Uh, we want to encourage you to participate in that starting this Wednesday night. We encourage you to blog on the website. As Pastor Brent said, I've got a couple quotes from the blogs. Teresa wrote, I have been in a state of anticipation since Lent last year. Lent stirs up many emotions in my soul, excitement to the point of well-being giddy because of the increased awareness my participation brings. Then just as quickly, I feel my soul shudder within me, knowing the anguish, the literal breaking of my hardened heart. Uh, Peggy wrote, I have given up enchiladas for Lent. This is very difficult. I usually go out every Friday night for date night with my husband, and yes, we eat Mexican, namely enchiladas. But I know that it will help me focus on what I really love, which is Jesus. And when I read that, I thought, you know, this is the first person in all these years we've been doing Lent uh, who's really given the whole enchilada. It's impressive. It's, it's impressive. Yeah. This is going to be a good service. <laughs> this is a season about examination. And there's something a little uncomfortable about that. The next season, 
Easter and Pentecost is about celebration. And uh, so hang on, (laughs) we'll get to it. But in this particular season, we're stopping and saying, let's do a checkup. Paul writes to the believers in 2 Corinthians 13, examine yourselves to see whether or not you're in the faith. Test yourselves. We read in the Psalms, the psalmist making this prayer to God in Psalm 139, search me, O God. Know my heart. Test me. Know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and then lead me. What he's saying is, I need your help. I can't see myself clearly. But lead me in the way everlasting. In other words, the way that you think, the everlasting way, the eternal kind of perspective. Help me see it. See, this is a good thing. It doesn't mean that you're to become sort of morbidly searching for ways, you know, to feel bad about yourself. That's not, that's not what, at all what this is about. In fact, the gospel, the good news that we participate in, tells us that we belong, that we, after we cross the threshold of faith, that we belong to God, that we're his children, and that uh, in Paul's language, we've been made the righteousness of God in Christ. That means there's something right about us. Jesus actually said that it was almost as if a person's born all over again, born again, that somehow inside there's a, a, a stony heart that's taken out, a new heart of flesh that's put, in and there, that's put in, and there's something in us that's right. But even though there's something in us that's right, I think what that means is that we, we that have right standing with God, we who belong, we can come into his presence with a sense of confidence and say to him, Lord, thank you that I belong. Thank you that I've got rightness in me. But how am I doing? Can we talk about this? You know, how, I, how am I reflecting you to the world? Am I being light enough in dark places? Am I being salt enough where I make things tastier and I prevent rot? I, you know, I'm in a rotten situation. Am I helping it or hurting it? Help me. How am I doing? How can, am I glorifying you? Where can I improve? I think these kinds of questions are the examination questions where we're saying, God, I want to see new levels of fruitfulness for you. We're sort of journeying to Easter, to resurrection, and making sure the word Lent actually means spring, and the metaphor means that that you're going in and clearing out the deadness left from the previous fall and the winter. And you're sort of clearing out to make room for growth. That's the impulse. That's what we're participating in intentionally. Now, obviously, you do that through the course of the year, but it's okay to focus on stuff sometimes. You know, those of you that are, that are married, you know, it's, or have a family, how many of you think it's cool to go on a family vacation? You know, it's cool to take two weeks and blitz out and change. But that's, you don't say, I mean, you, you do family stuff all year round, but it's fun to do stuff extra. That's what this is, is that extra. The word uh, in, here with the idea of examination has to do with the notion of pruning. And we read it in Jesus, when Jesus is talking to the disciples and he says to them, I'm the true vine, my father's the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, watch, he messes with it. He prunes it so that it will even be more fruitful. Think about this. What if God would love you to be more fruitful? I mean, all of us have some fruitfulness. Anytime we we open ourselves to God and open ourselves in our context, in our world, and just sort of press in a little, there's always fruitfulness. But what if God would love to trim back some stuff in your life so that there's more resurrection power in you as a result? 
That's what Jesus is suggesting. This pruning process I'm suggesting to you looks like the word we know as repentance. Everybody say repentance. Oh, some of you may have baggage with that word, right? Repent can be a, you know, <laughs> a negative word. But it actually comes from the Greek word metanoeo. Metanoeo, which sounds like a word from Disney's Lion King to me. Metanoeo. It's a compound word that literally means to change one's mind, to think differently. Somehow, somehow, even though there's rightness in us, somehow when God begins to mess with us about how we think, how we think about our jobs, how we think about our circumstances, how we think about a rejection that just happened or an opportunity that just was afforded to us, that if we think rightly, it opens up more fruitfulness. And it's easy to think wrongly. And because, you remember Paul said it this way. He said, he said, make sure that you renew your mind so that you can prove what is the good and the acceptable and the perfect will of God in your life. We have to do something with our thinking. We actually have to, to, to in a way, worship with our thinking. God wants us to, and that's what repentance, the impulse of repentance is really about worship. It's about saying, I don't want to be in control. I am not God. I don't know everything that's going on. And I don't even know myself that way. Search me, oh God. I worship you. And in that moment, he starts messing, pruning our thinking, right? In Hebrews 6, it says that this whole idea of changing your thinking or repentance is fundamental, foundational in the faith. He says, therefore, let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death. I mean, the point here is that, and then he lists a bunch of other foundational things, but the point is, is that this is something that's foundational. In other words, you have to put it in before you can build on it, and after you build stuff on it, you can't let it be destroyed. You can't let the foundation be deteriorated, because if it is, it'll tip the building over. It'll wreck the building. So this is something that's important in our lives, this notion of repentance. It's basic. It's essential. It, it should be constantly present and active in our lives. We don't graduate from repentance. God isn't expecting us to get holy enough where we never, don't need to repent anymore. Why? Because though we belong and though there's something right about us in our hearts, we more often than not steer into naughty. How many of you have noticed this about you? How many of you have noticed, have you, have noticed this about your friends? <laughs> we steer into naughty. Um, <laughs> I love it that God's not freaked out by that. In Psalm 103, it says, He does not treat us as our sins deserve. Some of you be going, Praise the Lord. Or repay us according to our iniquities. Double praise the Lord. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for people who, who fear him, who remember him, who think of him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. And as a father has compassion on his children, the Lord has compassion on those who, who remember him, who fear him, who think of him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. In other words, God's not expecting perfection from you. 
He's not freaked out when you're naughty. He doesn't fall off his throne and go, oh, myself, when you do something bad. (laughs) Right? But he wants us to own our stuff. The scripture says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But in that same context, he says, if you say you have no sin when you have sinned, you're making God a liar. God wants you to own your stuff. He wants us to be aware that, that, you know, really, we need to be actively willing to confess our sins and to change our mind about them, to mantaneo them. Those of us with valid driver's license, we get this. Because we know that when we drive a moving vehicle, that uh, we have to constantly make adjustments. We don't get in the car, get out on the road, get the perfect position on the steering wheel, let go and start texting. Because, well, some of us know this is wrong. (laughs) We know if we don't keep watching and making adjustments for changes in the road, making adjustments for other drivers, making adjustments that we will kill ourselves or someone else or be killed, right? So we do these constant adjustments as we're driving. Those constant adjustments are little mini repentances. Change, 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 change. Oh, oh, too late, change. See, you and I need to engage in this idea that when we drive through our lives, when we go through our lives, we're constantly having to make adjustments. We go to work and, you know, maybe we're a little too slothful or maybe we're a little too energetic because we're trying to please someone, but then sometimes we're not pleasing somebody enough and then sometimes we're, you know, we confront somebody we shouldn't have confronted and sometimes we don't confront when we should have confronted. <laughs> we're, we're crazy. And, and we're basically a little weird. Right? All of us are. And it isn't that God's expecting us to be perfect. Again, he wants us, though, to make these adjustments. We should have... We should always keep our repenter part warmed up, ready to go. I have a Keurig coffee gizmo. And what it is, is it, it's this little gizmo that you put water on the side and you turn it on and it keeps the water hot all the time. And then you pick the top off and you have these little cups that you put in there, little thing, and you put it down and you push the button and it gives you an instant cup of coffee. Pretty cool deal. And it works great unless you turn it off. If you turn it off and then when you come to get instant coffee, you've got to turn it back on, it's got to warm the water up. So it takes longer. See, I think you should be on all the time with your repenter. Ready to java repent. You've got to be willing to change your mind as God points things out to you. In Ephesians 4, God says through, or the, the scripture says, uh, Paul writes this, I'm reading it in the King James Version because it just says it the way I want it. Say it. See then that ye, ye be ye, (laughs) walk circumspectly. Everybody say circumspectly. Not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Circumspectly literally means this, that you're walking like this. That you're very, very cautious, aware of the fact that there's danger in your life. This, you, you and I need to realize that and assume that unguarded, unwashed, we're going to jump into trouble. It's just the reality of it because we are what we are. There's a great Pogo comic strip that I read years ago and uh, it, it, the very last frame 
It says, we, he says, yep, son, he's talking to his son, we have met the enemy and he is us. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> we are our biggest enemies. I mean, there is the world, there is the, the devil, but the reality is we constantly lose perspective and easily overshift or oversteer into places that are wrong. And you and I need to understand what we're really asking as we check our thoughts is, am I being a, a pilgrim where I'm trying to move toward God and honor him in my life and asking him his perspective about different things? Or am I being a prodigal, which means you're wasting and you're sort of directing your own life and doing what you want to do selfishly? It's one or the other that we're going. And if we're doing the prodigal, we have no fruit. If we start pilgriming, we start moving toward God's grace. Here's what's at stake. This is Matthew 3. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the desert of Judea and saying, Repent! Everybody say, Repent. Why? For the kingdom of heaven is what? Is near. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Repent. Change your mind. Make sure your mind is adjusted toward what God wants. Because the kingdom of heaven is near. One version says, is at hand, which means it's within your grasp. The influence of heaven is within your grasp. If it's not in our grasp, it's because we haven't been thinking right. We are not thinking rightly about what God wants to do, wants to be in our lives. He goes on to say, a voice of one, spoken through the prophet Isaiah, the voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Listen to that language. Prepare the way for the Lord. How in the world can we prepare a way for the Lord? Why doesn't God just do what he wants to do? I mean, sometimes God just does things doesn't wait for anybody to ask him to do anything. He's God. But there are times and places in our lives, spaces in our world, where he waits. And we decide to prepare a way for him or push him out. And this actual text is taken from the Isaiah text. He just said that. And let me go to the Isaiah text. It says, a voice of one calling in the desert. <laughs> I felt men in desert. <laughs> in the desert. <laughs> Prepare the way for God. Make straight in the wilderness of God a highway, a highway for our God. Every valley, let it be raised up. Every mountain made low. Every ground level, the rugged places, a plain. And then the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all humankind will see it together. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. What he's saying is part of how the kingdom of God is seen in our lives is when we say to God, God, I want to make every mountain down, everything that I've exalted against you in my life down, every way that I've, I've got valleys here that are inappropriate, that God, you'll bring them up. I want to I, mess with me. Talk to me about me. That's what you're saying. Now, this is a dangerous thing. How many of you have had friends that as the relationship grows, you get to the point where you'd want to take a risk? Because as wonderful as they are, there's a couple of things about them that make you crazy. So maybe you say, you want to just lean to them and say, hey, you know, you know, you know how I'm always the one calling or you know, I'm always, you know, whatever it is you're going to say. And you say it and you kind of watch. You kind of lean into it. Something is a little disappointing and you kind of say something about it and you watch them. Either they will go, tell me, well, what do you mean? Explain that. And they open up their hearts and they let you speak and they adjust to it. Or they start freaking out a little bit that they're not perfect. And if they do that, how many of you know you can actually lose friends being honest with them? 
And so a lot of times you won't be honest with them because their friendship matters more than the irritation that's being caused. See, that is true with all of us. I think that's true with our relationship with God. I don't think God will tell you all the things that are offensive about you if you're not open to him. That's why he says when you confess the sins you do know, he forgives you of the sins you do know and cleanses you from all unrighteousness. In other words, all the other stuff you don't know. And I'm convinced if God showed us everything about us that offends him, we we would quit. So now here's, here's the question. What if there's stuff about you that's just flat irritating? That's making you less light, less salt, less productive, less fruitful, and God just isn't going to talk to you about it unless you're willing to talk to him about it. I mean, that, a text like this suggests it. This is John 16. Jesus is telling the disciples, you know, I, I got a lot more to say to you guys, more than you can now bear. I know. I have a lot more to say to you guys, more than you can now bear. I remember reading, I mean, I've read this, I don't know how many times, but one day when I read it and it hit me, and I started praying. I said, okay, God, in my devotion time. I said, God, tell me some stuff, please. You know, I just read that. There's more you want to tell us, but more than we can bear. Tell me some stuff. I prayed like that for a few weeks, nothing. And then all of a sudden, I started getting busted with all these little attitudes, all these little selfishnesses and all this little stuff and, you know, things that I thought I was doing with the right attitude was mixed with some real bad attitude and, and I'm starting to get busted everywhere and I finally said, no, stop, okay, okay, no more. I'm telling you, you, I double dog dare you to start putting on your, in this season, put down all your areas of responsibility. If you're a single person, your responsibility to the people around you, friends, if you're married, to your spouse, to your family, right? On the job, how do you respect or your boss or how are you a boss? How are you treating people that work with you? You start listing your responsibilities and start praying into it, saying, Father, let your kingdom come and we'll be done this. Help me, God, think right about this. And I'm telling you, God will start talking to you. I'll never forget the first time he talked to me about Gail. And I, you know, I was praying about it because we were just married a few months and I couldn't understand why she wasn't acting right. Or thinking right. She just didn't think right. I wanted her to think like a man. And I remember, I kid you not, I'm in prayer in a service in the old charismatic, Catholic charismatic renewal things. We go to these evening services. And I was in that service and I was talking to God saying, God, she wants me to treat her like a queen, but she's acting like a dog. I literally said that to God. I thought he'd understand. He's a man. And then I remember that text, God is not a man that he should lie. But I kid you not, I'm saying to God, God, she wants me to treat her. I mean, I want, I'm done. I want to be the head of my home. I want, I'm doing this whole thing. I want to treat her like a queen and she's acting like a dog. And I heard, I kid you not, you're the dog. I'm telling you, you talk to God about your stuff and he will get all up in your grill. 
But I'm telling you, if you will dare to do it, if you'll be honest, you'll find out that God will start bringing out stuff in your life that will be wonderful. And it isn't always the bad stuff. I'm not talking about robbing banks and, you know, beating up people. I mean, if you're beating up people, that's a serious, you better repent, like right now, publicly, if you beat up people. Don't beat up people. Thou shalt not beat up people. Bless God. You know, but most of the stuff, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the, the, the stupid little, sometimes it's not what we do, it's what we don't do. It's a sin of prayerlessness or this, a sin of not caring. And sometimes some of our sins are pretty holy. I think that looking down on people is horrible. I mean, it just, I'm not kidding you. I get ticked off when... I see people that look down on people. So I look down on people who look down on people. It's a holier sin. No matter how you, no matter how you cut it, it's holier. See, so a bunch of us, we got a bunch of holy sins. Little attitudes, little righteous indignation. Right? And you just can't stand that. And all you're doing is being a little demon. <laughs> all right, one last verse. It says out of Psalm one or three hundred, three hundred Psalm one hundred three. <laughs> there's only three hundred Psalms. It's just I've written some. <laughs> okay. Know that the Lord is God, it is He who made us, and we are His. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. See, what we're doing in Lent is we're remembering that we are the creature. And we're saying to God, God, I don't have the right to live my own life. I don't have the right to be God, to think I'm omniscient, all-knowing. I'm only partially omniscient. I don't know everything I need to know. I don't have all the power. I'm not omnipotent like you are. I've just got a little bit of power, but not enough to even make myself holy. I just, I need you. Help me think right about the people I'm involved with in my life, the responsibilities I have in my life. Speak to me. I worship you. I open my heart to you. Search me, God. This kind of stuff makes you sweeter and it'll cause you to have more fruit and who among us doesn't want that? Amen? Grace. Let's all stand together. So go today, let's lift our voices. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, Amen. As you go today, we want to remind you of God's blessing for your life. May the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May he make his beautiful face shine on you. May he be gracious to you. May you be guided by his grace. May he turn his countenance towards you and give you peace. Go in peace today. If you need prayer for anything, our prayer team will be here. Um, Have a great week.